back to church. We are uh, really glad to be in your living room again or in your car, uh, on your telephone. And uh, so it's just good to come into your house. But uh, I'm looking forward to, in hopefully a couple weeks, where we will be back together. That's what we're praying. Uh, next weekend, we're going to have a drive-in service with the kids. And when I say kids, I mean kids of all ages are welcome to come. Uh, but our kids, it's going to be a special kids service, 11 a.m. We'll also have our online service at 11, but I really want to encourage you to bring your kids of all ages, and uh, they'll be in their car. There'll be some interactive things that they could do together. It is going to be a lot of fun on uh, that last weekend in May. Now, Lord willing, the weekend after that, we are going to be back together gathering in Middletown and Mason. That is our plan right now. Uh, in Middletown, we're going to have one uh, worship gathering. We believe the rule is going to come out where it's going to be 50 or less. That's what we're praying. And uh, if that's the case, we'll be in Middletown at one worship gathering at the regular time there at 10 o'clock. And, uh, and we'll make sure the kids uh, are, are going to be with their families that day in both locations. And so our first phase-in plan for that weekend would be both in Middletown and in Mason. The families will be together, but we're going to have uh, opportunities for overflow seating in both locations. That way, we're not at 50 uh, at, at all. And, uh, and in fact, so much so, in Mason, we're going to be adding a third worship gathering to make sure that we can facilitate that. So uh, in Mason, we're going to have a worship service at 930 and then 11 and then 1230. So those of you who want to sleep in, you come in late to church, uh, you've always wanted to do that. This is going to be your time to do that. And so on that weekend, we're just going to try it out. We're going to have sanitized everything, and it'll be uh, families all together. In addition to that, we're planning on having an outdoor seating or uh, area for, your, for you to drive in and listen on your radio on that weekend here in Mason, because... Uh, we know some will still be uncomfortable with coming together uh, live and in person, but you can still be on site, you can still listen to the worship and be a part of that uh, on that first weekend of June. And so that's what our plan is right now. We'll be sending out more information about that. And then in the weeks after that, we'll be reintroducing children's programs, and we'll let you know more about that in the future. Hey, let's pray together as we get started today. God, we give you thanks uh, that... We have stayed unified as a congregation. And God, thank you that we have been able to touch uh, one another through uh, the internet and through the visits to the homes where the children's leaders have had chalk drawings on the sidewalks and uh, they have done songs at a distance and our, our student ministry have had game nights on Zoom. Our community groups have gotten together and continue to stay in touch with one another. There have been emails and phone calls and social media touches. And God, of course, our online worship experiences and then our drive-ins. God, you have blessed this time. You have allowed us to uh, continue to worship together. And God, now we pray as we move into the next phase that you not only keep us safe together, but that, Lord, you'd allow us to keep those values that we held dear right from the beginning, that somehow we would honor the rules, we would keep other, uh, keep us safe, and God, we would also be able to, to worship in the best way that we could. Location didn't matter nearly as much as just your presence involved in, in our lives. And so God, thank you for that. God, we pray now for a time of renewal. We pray for a time of refreshing, that your spirit would be involved, not just here in this location, 
but in but it, but also all around the country and all around the world as people once again realize that what they found security in before a lot of that's gone to the wayside help us find our security in you in christ in christ alone we pray that together in jesus name amen well in matthew chapter 11 verse 28 jesus asked a really important question that i think applies to today he just asked this are you tired are you worn out i don't know about you guys but i would have to answer that question yes and no some days i am fully alive fully ready to go i'm excited I, there's, it's been busy during this time, but there are just days where it just seems like the quarantine sucks the life out of me. I mean, it really does. And there are just days where I walk, wake up and I go, I just, I don't want to be in this position mentally or spiritually or anything else. And I just relate to that question that Jesus asked. Are you tired? Do you feel that? I, 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 I have felt that. Now, if you're not sure if that's you or not, if you're maybe uh, not sure if you're worn out or tired or maybe even impatient, I want to ask you nine things, all right? And in your home, you just raise your hand if these apply to you, okay? Any one of these. Number one, I've cut through a gas station to avoid stopping at a red light. Anybody ever done that before? Raise your hand. I'm doing it because I'm raising my hand not as an example, but because I've done that more than once. Number two. I don't like to take vacations where there isn't something to do. Where you can't just lay around, you got to have something to do. Any of you guys like that, where you stay busy even on your vacation? Number three, I frequently look at my phone for no reason at all. I don't even know why I'm looking at it, I just look at my phone. If that's you, raise your hand. Number four, people who talk slowly irritate me. Like every word is its own sentence i'm like just just say it just say what you want to say just get it out please if you get impatient during that please raise your hand number five i often switch lines because i think the one that i'm in is too slow if you do that raise your hand number six i believe that god makes whatever line i'm in the slowest line it always seems like somebody else is in a faster line uh, number seven Whatever line I am in. Oh, I already said that. It's going to be the slowest line. Number eight, when I go to sleep, my mind often rehearses things that I haven't gotten done that day or things that I need to get done the next day, the things that I need to get done the next day. Number nine, I have difficulty finding time for things like paying bills or going to the doctor or the dentist. I, I, I'm so busy, some of the most critical things I just put off. Or number 10, and I think I may have messed up my numbers, but I don't care. Number 10, I am more stressed out and tired now than I was at the beginning of January 2020. And if that's you, you understand what we're talking about today. Because I want to talk to everybody who's tired, everyone who's worn out. You're at the end of your rope. I want to talk to everybody that, that is in the valley right now. I want to direct your attention to probably the most famous psalm one of the most famous scriptures actually in the entire bible next to john three sixteen, i doubt that there is any passage that is better known than the 23rd psalm uh, it's often read at funerals and the words of the 23rd psalm have offered comfort and calmed more fears and encouraged more hearts than any other poem ever written 
and it is a poem written by King David. And when you think about the life of David, you have to admit, this guy understood something about going through dark valleys. This is what the 23rd Psalm says. I'm just going to read all six verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David just said that the Lord is like a shepherd. And of course, David knew this analogy well because David was a shepherd, a shepherd boy. He cared for, he watched over, and he protected and guided his sheep. And so he takes that analogy and he says, we're a lot like the sheep. God is a lot like the shepherd. And I can't think of a more critical and crucial time for God to lead us and guide us and walk us through this dark valley. David knew something about dark valleys. He was there. Uh, God was there during his conflict with King Saul. The king wanted to take David's life. God was there with David uh, after his time of Bathsheba, and he sent her, and David had sent her husband to the front line of battle. She'd be killed in action, and God uh, led him eventually to repent. God was there when Nathan confronted David and and, and, and he had been in that valley, that dark valley. God was with David when he battled Goliath in, in the valley of Elah. One of the things we understand about David is he knew what it meant to have the presence of God in his life. He knew what it meant to have the shepherd leading him. Even if he was ignoring the shepherd at the time, he knew what it was like to have the shepherd lead and guide his life. And David knew what it was like to walk through dark valleys. Think about that time he was with Goliath. The Israelites on one side of the mountain, the Philistines on the other side, and in the valley was going to be the battle. And every day, Goliath would come out and challenge the Israelites, and every day, the Israelites would cower in fear. Every day. And finally, David, the shepherd boy, had enough of it, and he went out and said, I want to take on Goliath. And Saul, the king at the time, said, I don't think so. You're just a boy. You're a shepherd boy. I don't think you can handle this. And David really almost rushed to the battlefield and said, God is with me. And when the giant Goliath saw him, he laughed out loud. He mocked David. He said, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And David said, you come, and he said to David, you, uh, you come with me with sticks. And David said, you come at me with a spear and a sword and with a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. And of course, we know the end of the story. David defeated Goliath on that, in that battlefield, in that valley. Because why? Because God was with him. And so I just want to say to everybody as we get into this outline today, if that's you, if you are walking through a dark valley today, know that you are in good company. Because David walked through that valley. Our Savior Christ walked through that valley as well. And sometimes in life, we ended up in valleys that we never expected to be in, facing giants we never expected to face. Several years ago, 
when I was on a teaching team in uh, Miamisburg, one of the pastors on that team, Sean, wrote an outline on Psalm 23, and I'm going to use that today. But there are five realities about valleys. Here's the first one. Valleys are inevitable. We can't wish them away. We can't stay in a protective bubble hoping that it will never break. Valleys are inevitable. They are as part, much a part of life as the breathing or, or, or eating. They are a reality. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. Life is filled with highs and lows. Jesus acknowledged this. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I've told you these things so that you, uh, that, that to you that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus understood that valleys are inevitable in this life. They're also unpredictable. We all know that. They're not only inevitable, they're unpredictable. We have no idea when or where they're going to happen. They are unpredictable. They generally happen at the worst time, like that flat tire or that red light. When you're in a hurry, you don't plan it. It just happens. Wouldn't it be great if we could actually plan our valleys? I mean, like if one morning you just woke up and said, listen, today I'm going to have all my valleys happen today. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be stressed out. The roof is going to leak. The tub will be stopped up. I'm going to go ahead and plan that bad news so that by the afternoon I'm good to go. I could go golf or work out. And we'll just take care of the valleys in the morning. But they don't, they don't happen like that. And we know that when valleys happen, when bad days happen or bad years happen, they are unpredictable. I have no idea when it's going to happen. We had one that happened the other night. We have this huge retaining wall in, in our, uh, at our driveway there. And, and I kept saying, that thing's going to come down one day. And uh, you better not park near it. Everybody better be careful. And literally, I was planning on getting a bobcat to knock that thing down and, and to take care of it and get a dumpster and all of that. But God saw fit to do it otherwise. And, and we were just in the living room, and the huge thunderous sound happened. Lisa said, what is that? I don't know. I don't know. It's those darn kids is what I'm thinking. They probably broke something. We got said, oh, no, it's the brick wall. And uh, that's it right there. That's what it used to look like. That's what it looks like now, actually. And uh, all torn down. God just said, let's just take care of this right now, right here. And you know what? Dark valleys, that's not really a dark valley, but valleys happen. I mean, bad things happen. It could be a wall that breaks down. It could be an illness that happens. Or it could be a coronavirus that none of us planned for. They are just unpredictable. Number three, valleys are impartial. There, there's that old age-old question that says, why do bad things happen to good people? And what I want you to know is bad things happen to all people. You could be good. You could be bad. It doesn't matter. You've heard it said during the coronavirus that it doesn't care about politics or religion or anything. Coronavirus uh, has a way to kind of infect everybody. Valleys are impartial. No one is exempt. No one is immune from them. No one skips through this life problem-free. Matthew 5.45 says, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, I know that is so hard to comprehend when we're in the middle of a struggle especially when it does happen to good people that we love. I have an elder friend that I've known for many years that served uh, alongside of me several years ago, about, about actually 20 years ago now, and, and he and his wife were married for 62 years. And I just saw them not recently at another funeral of another friend of ours, and, 
and uh, got to talk with them. But March 11th, she went into a facility, and after that, because of the coronavirus, the family wasn't able to see her. So over the last two months, she's been declining in health day after day after day. They tried to see her at the window, but because she's struggling with dementia, it really wasn't the best thing, and the family worried about her. It wasn't until the day that she passed from this life to the next that two of them were able to walk into the room and say goodbye to her. Now, now that is so tragic and so sad, and, and if I were just completely honest with you, frustrates me to death. I mean, I, I've, I've tried to work with the family and say, is there any other way? I mean, you, you know, you'd break down barriers to get there if you could. And, but because their concerns over the virus and, and the things that were happening, they just weren't able to do that. And we look at that and say, that's so unfair. Why? Why did that happen? And, and what we have to remember is that it, the same question is being asked between believers and non-believers. It's being asked between people all over the world. Why do these things happen? Read Job sometime. Job chapter 2, Job is covered with boils from head to toe. His wife takes one look at him and goes, ooh. No, she didn't say that. She, she has one look at him and says, what are you doing, Job? Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job's response was, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Boy, that's a piercing remark, isn't it? Because valleys are impartial. And when you find yourself in the middle of one, remember that. You're not a target. You're just human. Difficult days find their way into everybody's home. Valleys are inevitable. They're unpredictable. They're impartial. But they're also occasional. Valleys are occasional. They're not per permanent. They do have an end. David said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. To walk through something implies that there is a beginning and an end. Valleys our circumstances or difficulties that we go through in this life and when we face them we know they're temporary they're not permanent and that encourages me i've read often the verse from second corinthians chapter four that says therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on the what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Sometimes we have to endure occasional valleys to gain perspective. The occasional valleys give us an eternal perspective. And yes, that family that I'm talking about, through the tragedy and the difficulty of those two months, immediately turned around when she passed away and began to look forward and think about what she was experiencing in heaven in eternal life with Jesus. These trials, as difficult as they are, lead us from thinking about life here to thinking about life in heaven. And then value, uh, valleys are valuable. Whether God takes us through the valley intentionally or whether we end up there uh, because of our own human nature, God takes our valleys and brings them into a purpose. We've often read 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. Valleys are valuable. On average, grass grows about an inch a year on the mountains, but in the valley it flourishes. The mountaintop experiences are great, 
but growth doesn't usually take place on the mountain. Growth occurs in the valley. Growth it happens when we are sometimes in the darkest of places, and God uses those valleys to build our faith and help, help us grow into mature believers. Dave Ramsey, the popular Christian financial advisor, has written several books on uh, Christian finances, including a book called Financial Peace. And he was a self-made millionaire before he turned 30. He made his fortune in real estate. It was around that same time that he gave his life to Christ, but he didn't give it everything to him fully. He held on to his wealth until one day he lost it all. And here's what he said. I met God on the way up, but I got to know him on the way down. Sometimes that's how it happens. You show me a person who has grown spiritually, and I guarantee you about 99% of the time, I'll show you someone who has walked through that valley. It's in the valley that we come face to face with God. It's in the valley where we learn to lean on Him and depend on Him. It's in the valley where we learn to let go of unimportant things and to grab a hold of the things that are most important. And as inconvenient and as uncomfortable as it may seem, God uses the valleys in our life to mold us and shape us and make us into who He wants us to be. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is a popular verse and says, And we know that in all things... God works according to the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean everything that happens is good, but it does mean that the things that happen in our life, God can use for the good, and he can help grow us in the middle of that. And so what I want to do then is just look at one specific verse in Psalm 23 and just see how do, how do we deal with those valleys. Here's what I'd recommend. Rely on God's power. Psalm 23, verse 4 says that in the dark valleys, I will fear no evil. I will not fear. It's so easy to get discouraged in the valley. I, I have been in that valley myself. I have admitted that last summer, a year ago, that I went through one of those dark valleys. And I don't know if that was recovering from Sherry's passing months before that or two years before that, my father's passing, or if it was just changing circumstances within my life or church. I don't know fully even today all of why that is but it gave me a brand new window into people who deal with depression and dark days and not wanting to get out of bed and not wanting to do anything. I'm thankful that that cloud moved away from over my head but I understand more about what that means. And when you're in that moment and when I was in that moment as weak and as vulnerable as I felt, I found strength in Christ alone. Somehow in the middle of that, the all-powerful hand of the Almighty God rests on you, encourages you. <clears throat> and it's in the moment where you say, God, I cannot handle this, that God steps in and His power is made perfect in our weakness. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 says, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when trouble comes, but be patient. It's just comforting me to me to know that God has his hand on me. He has his hand on you too. The second thing is embrace God's presence. Verse 4 again says, you are with me. I will not fear for you are with me. David says, God, you're with me. He not only promises his power on your life, he also promises his presence. And one sure thing about the valley is that we never walk through it alone if we're willing to embrace God's presence in the middle of it. And I know that some of you struggle with 
with loneliness. And maybe you have a house full of people, but you still feel very alone. And for you, that's an ongoing battle. Parents, man, many of us have had that time where our, we need uh, something in our home, maybe in the basement, and we send one of our kids, or maybe they want to get something out of the basement. And, and there's just something about an unfinished dark basement that just scares, scares the life out of a kid. And they get to the top of the stairs, and they go, will somebody come with me? Will somebody walk down with me? Will somebody just take me down there? And maybe a parent who doesn't really want to get up just says, it's fine, don't worry about it, we'll be right here. But that's not the same as the parent who gets up and says, I'll walk with you down there, trust me, it's going to be okay. And just something about that parent walking down with that child just calms their fears. And, and you know what? Companionship makes all the difference in this world. If, if you are traveling abroad, you feel more comfortable if you have somebody that knows the culture and the language. If you're in a fancy restaurant where you can't read the menu, it's great to have somebody with you who can read that menu for you. It's great to have someone walk with you along the way. And here's what Isaiah says. This is what the Lord says. He created you, people of Jacob. He formed you, people of Israel. Do not be afraid, because I saved you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you cross through the rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor will the flames hurt you. God does not sit back passively when his children struggle. He is actively involved in our lives, present in our daily encounters, encouraging, guiding, leading, and when necessary, carrying the load. Now, there is a noticeable change in David in verse 3. In first, the first three verses, all the pronouns are in third person. David talks about God. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. But when David steps into the valley and he stops talking about God and starts talking to God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because, friends, when you are in the valley, you don't want to just talk to God. You want, to, you want God to walk with you. You don't want to just talk about him. You want to experience him. Religion is somehow, tra somehow transformed into a relationship. God becomes real to us when we are in the middle of a valley. And so we just pray, God, I want you to use this in my life. You lead me. It's your rod, your staff that comfort me. And so trust in God's protection. Trust that as he walks with you, he's not only your companion in the valley, he protects you. Verse 4 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That rod and that staff, they were used to ward off animals and also bring in the sheep. The rod was about two feet long and a heavy knot on the end of it. The shepherd would use that weapon against maybe wolves or things that might attack the sheep. The shepherd's staff was a long stick with a crook in it. And he didn't use that staff to correct or beat his sheep. He used it to guide, to comfort, to protect, and to bring them in at times, a wandering sheep. And so God uses these things to both protect us and to bring us in. David is painting this vivid picture for us. When you walk through the valley, I will protect you. When you walk through the valley, 
the good shepherd, God, will walk with you. He will guide you. He will protect you. He will defend you against the enemy. He will fight for you. He will never let you wander too far from his side. No wonder David said that God comforts him, that he leads him, that he guides him. Maybe you need that today. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're filled with anxiety. Maybe you're unsure. You are in a dark valley, and you're not sure about it. I want you to notice one word in this text that really helps me. It says that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid, a shadow can be pretty scary. Somebody comes around you, maybe a family member, but you see that huge shadow first. You say, oh no, they're about to come get me. Or maybe you see your own shadow and you're scared by that and you're not sure what to do about that. But what I want you to know about a shadow is that a shadow is not real. They're always bigger than reality. The fear of the problem is always greater than the problem itself. So some of you, you're focused on the shadow today and you think the shadow's too big, it's too large. I, I don't know if I can go any further. I'm scared by the shadow. But here's what I want you to remember. You can't see a shadow without light. You can't see a shadow without light. And, and the brighter that light is, oftentimes the, the, the darker that shadow is. And what happens is we have to turn our eyes away from the enemy and back to the light. We have to remember that God's got this. As scary as that image can be, as scary as the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death can be, God is brighter still. It reminds me of that old song, just turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Dave Stone, um, minister, longtime minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, tells a story of when he was six years old that he and his family were in a terrible car accident. And our family has been a close friend of, of Dave's mom and dad for a long time, Sam and Gwen. And uh, when he was six years old, they had this accident. It was a head-on collision in a rainstorm. Both cars were going over 50 miles an hour. The oncoming car lost control, hydroplaned, and, and hit the car head-on. The boy in the other car was killed. In, in Dave's car, his brother and him were fine, but their mom and dad were both badly injured. His father's glasses were shattered, and he'd have 21 pieces of glass surgically removed from his eyes. His mom suffered a skull fracture and spent the next week in ICU fighting for his fighting for her life. They they said she has about a 50/50 chance of making it. Dave said, "As long as I live, I will never forget sitting in that car out in the side of that field. There was a helpless feeling. My mom was unconscious, bleeding profusely, slumped in the back seat." My father was seated beside me, but was unable to see. It, it, was, it was time clouded with fear and uncertainty. In the distance, we could hear the sound of sirens, he writes. And while we waited there in shock, my dad broke the silence and said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he began to quote the 23rd Psalm. Dave said he could still remember his dad's inflection and voice as he quoted, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's one of the earliest memories for Dave. One of the most vivid. And then Dave asked this question. When the sirens of life begin to sound in your life, 
for your loved ones, and you find yourself in the most frightening of storms, what will you cling to? And guys, I just want to encourage you to cling to the Good Shepherd, the one that despite the valleys of life and in the middle of the valleys of life meets you there, guides you, protects you, leads you, and wants a companionship and relationship with you. He is all we need. Robert Ketchum tells about a Sunday school teacher who asked a group of kids if any of them could quote the 23rd Psalm. A little four-and-a-half-year-old girl raised her hand. The teacher, skeptical but with a smile on her face, told the little girl, all right, go ahead, go ahead. The little girl stood up, and facing the other kids, she said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. And then she sat down. And I think that's a pretty good way to quote and to summarize the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, God, that as we walk through the valleys of life, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death even, that we will fear no evil. Your rod, your staff, they are with us, comforting us, guiding us. Surely, mercy and love will guide us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, give us strength in the valley. Give us peace in the valley. Give us companionship and guidance in the valley. And for all those today that are struggling with those things, walk with them today, God. Renew their spirit today, God. Restore their soul. We pray this in Jesus' name.